All right. Well, it looks like we're back. Hopefully you all had some rich discussions in your small groups. Um, we are excited to kind of hear a little bit about what insights surfaced for you during those small groups. Um, we can either popcorn pick a few groups to uh, share, or if someone is dying uh, to kind of let us know how their discussions went, uh, you can volunteer and unmike. We'll wait one moment for the captions to activate, maybe, before we get started. Danielle, can you just let us know when? Okay, I think we're ready to begin. So, um, would any group like to share? Any volunteers? Any volunteers? I'll volunteer. Let me. Um, my camera doesn't work because my son stuffed me with the broken laptop. Um, so I have I have his laptop. So I will not be able to um, share my screen. But I am happy to talk about what my group and I discussed. Um, so we were group four, um, and I will say. I felt like we didn't have enough time, so we did not get to both the dominant. Um, we only were able to get through the, the dominant culture and really didn't get an opportunity to really do like a, a I won't even say deep dive, but just like a, an analysis of the something different. Um, the one that we discussed was transactional goals, um, talking about uh, transactional deliverables and quant quantifiable um, numbers being ranked above meaningful engagement and uh, just basically organizations um, tendency to rush to achieve numbers. Um, some of the things that we identified as a potential advantage for organizations doing that is funding. Um, that was the, the first thing is that, um, and we really talked about this more from like a race equity perspective. So um, when we think about the availability of funding, we talked about how there's a tendency, particularly in dominant culture, um, to focus on data and numbers and how that um, makes it easier for them to access funding. Um, and while that may benefit the organization, the disadvantage for that is that um, smaller, maybe community-based organizations, particularly black and brown community-based organizations who don't necessarily value um, grant writing and other um, skills like around writing and things that are more in, in um, I guess, valued in dominant culture may lose out on funding because they don't know the buzzwords and they don't know the, they don't necessarily have the, um, whether it's the documentation paperwork or even the know-how to um, find these grants and find the necessary funding to be able to do the work. Um, what happens is that, um, organizations, smaller organizations who would really be willing to do the deep dive aren't receiving the funding that they need. And it's going to larger corporations who really just are um, doing it as doing cursory work for, um, yeah, doing also connections, but doing cursory work just for the numbers that are, are getting the funding. So it keeps um, a kind of perpetual cycle of the funding not going in the right places to get the work done. 
um, we also talked about how data and numbers is just something that's important in dominant culture um, and how that is, um, it's, it's almost as if you don't have the data and the numbers to support it, the issue doesn't exist and how that's particularly problematic, um, especially when you're talking about systemic and structural racism because there's an absence of common language sometimes to be able to identify um, issues that, that black and brown community members experience. And, and I think that's of course intentional. So because we can't necessarily point to a study or a journal or some type of data saying that this happened to me, it doesn't mean that the issue didn't happen or that the issue doesn't exist. So just that uh, valuing numbers and data over, I guess, real life experiences um, is something that can be advantageous for an organization, but also very detrimental for um, black and brown communities and individuals. Um, we also talked about, I, I don't wanna take too much time. So we talked about just individual uh, level consequences. Um, and we thought that it was better to really focus on not necessarily the individual because some of this is more top-down decision-making. So we uh, thought about it from the sense of how it affects staff as a whole and coworkers and it creates a distrust among staff members and within the organization, um, particularly around when you're, when you're talking about data, um, you can have an organization where the data and the numbers are great, but then people in black and brown communities have distrust for that organization because they know that you know, the work is not really being done even though it's been touted as if you know, all of these great accomplishments and all of these great things are coming as a result of the organization's work. So that creates distrust for amongst staff members questioning um, some of those um, activities, I guess. And then again, we, we didn't really go into um, something different part about it, but we did talk about how um, if you really try to do a deep dive and engage in meaningful work, how that could be an advantage um, because you're you're actually getting to the root and the, the heart of, of whatever issue you're advocating around, but it can be a disadvantage because again, you don't have that type of work takes time. Um, you don't have, and you may be up against deadlines because again, it's really dominant culture driven, so they want data and their idea or mark of success may not necessarily be um, something that is um, attainable in the work. So an example of that that we discussed was being able to uh, go into a, a community, a black and brown communities in rebuilding trust and networking. That's something that's, that takes time and it's really essential to any work that you're able to do, but that's not necessarily a mark of success for a grantor or um, a funder. They, they want to see actual quantifiable numbers. So that's it. Sounds like you all had a really rich conversation. Um, we could probably do an entire session just on that topic. And thank you for sharing, Latoya. Um, I, I think you guys did a really good job of surfacing the competing commitments um, because that's really at the crux of why we hold on to these strategies, isn't it? Where we sometimes ha feel like we have to prioritize getting the resources. And so we spend our time in certain ways and it might be having the impact that you talked about. Um, 
Uh, it may mean that we don't spend time doing the relationship building because that's not going to be recognized and we're not going to be rewarded for that. Um, someone said uh, the connection, social connections, um, who gets access to that social capital to allow their organization to survive. Um, and, and what are we measuring and determining is impactful. And the thing is not so much that, um, um, it, it, it's really about having the conversations to question the impact of the ways that we've surviving so that we can start um, um, talking about and moving towards and identifying opportunities to uplift and, and engage and try out other strategies um, that can counter the adverse impact that you've been talking about. Um, but but this is that's a really good analysis. Um, Rob, do you have anything you want to chime in and say? Oh no, that you pretty comprehensive, Eliana, actually. Yeah, All right. <clears throat> Time is of uh, the essence. We're looking at the clock and noticing that we only nine minutes. Do you want us to take one more? Yeah, yeah why not? What do you okay, think? We'll, <clears throat> um, we'll really truncate our wrap up is what that's going to mean. But if someone wants to give like a two minute share out, we'd love to hear what one other group um, um, said. But thank you so much for what was shared so far. Um, and is uh, any other group? can be brave and <laughs> try to go. Uh, we were group five um, and uh, I took some brief notes. So we said if people want to try to chime in. So our subject was the um, power hoarding um, versus power sharing. Um, and just a few things that we noted. And again, we also only got through the kind of dominant cultural survival strategies, the analysis of that. So we were looking at advantages and disadvantages and um, just gave some individual examples. But um, I think we were talking about some of the advantages of why um, things may stay in place. We said one thing that may impact um, the dynamics would be the size of the organization. Um, so um, uh, one of the people in our group just talked about um, being in an, in an environment, in a work environment where um, uh, the um, uh, things are more cooperative um, versus where, um, uh, you know, kind of coming into an environment where people have to more fend for themselves. Um, uh, we also just talked about again by some of the advantages of not, um, you know, kind of keeping things where it's more um, not shared. It's we were saying it's harder to be able to um, uh, not have um, people coming in from different perspectives. It's like if you kind of go with just one way of doing things as you always have, and not opening yourselves up to other perspectives. Sometimes. Um, it may seem easier to work together as a team versus having other people come in and um, uh, maybe just come in with different ideas. Um, uh, we did talk about also, which was interesting uh, for some of the legal services offices that are unionized, we were saying that that also might have a little bit of an impact versus where people feel like they maybe have more of a voice if they're part of a union versus um, uh, 
several of us that were um, in our group that are um, not part of the unions and how that shifts the power dynamics and people feeling um, either not safe to speak up on various issues. Um, and um, I'm not sure if there was anything else. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, I mean, I think just the whole point is, is that without having the representation, um, it's you're really not going to get to meaningful change. But Violetta, if you want to say something, please join in. <laughs> Thank you, Janine. Yeah, we're, we're also um, one of the one of the people um, in our group was also talking about you know how in some organizations don't don't even uh, or might not even have a culture where it's okay to <laughs> to ask questions or to ask for help. Um, even that might irk some coworkers, and um, you know, and uh, so so it's just. It's just important to to kind of understand that from get the get go, um, and and uh, there was also a point made that again about um, just just trying to hire people to quote unquote you know increase diversity, but at the same time, if the organization is not providing a culture where less senior people or newer hires can have a voice, a meaningful voice, then again, is it just cosmetic? Are we, you know, just checking boxes or are we actually, you know, this is like not enough. It's not just, it's not enough just to, to hire more, more diverse people, but not, um, not give opportunities um, for, for people to, to share their views and to contribute to the organizational structure or restructuring. Absolutely. Um, thank you all for sharing those thoughts and, and insights and perspectives. This is not easy. This is not easy work, right? Again, we are committed to these strategies because we see how they're benefiting us. It can be more efficient. If we just have a few people making decisions, we can keep things moving. We're already under a lot of pressure. But if we're talking about centering anti-racism in our work, then we have to think about what are the racial equity consequences of that. Um, many of the organizations, legal advocacy organizations that we work with, um, they are predominantly white-led. Um, and if you're typically finding your um, staff of color in the lower levels of your organizations, whose voices are being left out when we're power holding? Um, and, and when we're doing it as the default way of operating, it's not that there's never a time to make decisions in a group, but it is how can we find more opportunities to engage more perspectives? Because when you do that, especially when you're working on these complex um, problems like the trying to dismantle racism, the more perspectives that are brought to bear specifically from the communities that are impacted by it is really important. Um, and uh, there's a lot here. Uh, there's way more than we can do in 20 minutes. Um, but I invite you all to, um, I think we'll, we'll share a resource with you all following this session where you can continue to have these conversations we hope that you found this language empowering. Um, we didn't get to wrap up um, with some of the closing thoughts and activities that we thought we would, um, but we know that organizations respond differently to different communities, uh, um, different cultural strategies. Um, there may be times where 
they are like, oh, it's it doesn't really matter. We don't really need to think hard about this. Let's just we want different people in, but we kind of just want them to get along, get on board, get along, assimilate in, and um, there are opportunities to really enhance and enrich our advocacy when we're able to one um, recognize that we're using these strategies, having the ability to name them. Um, so that we can begin to analyze their consequences and begin to reimagine ways of dismantling them. Um, we hope that this was helpful for you. Um, Rob, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, I just hope that you find the resources helpful. I know when I first like sort of discovered um, what we're going to send out, it was almost like, uh, I don't want to say triggering because that's such an overused word, but it, it, it was alerting me to a lot of the things that my organization was, was doing that was super unhelpful it didn't help us serve the community. It didn't help us um, build rapport or or anything. Just like, but they have these standards of like professionalism and the way things have to be done. And, you know, and it, it was just, it was a bit oppressive, you know, um, and it made the job more difficult than it had to be. And, and, and so I am excited for you to explore ways that, you know, we may have some really, really old models of doing things that need to be flipped on their head. And so we hope that you can take these back to your organizations and kind of, you know, start a conversation, you know? And so we, we, we wish we had more time to kind of dig our teeth into these, but we hope that this opportunity to, to sort of sit down as in groups and, and dig into those was helpful on some level. You know? Thank you. And with that, I'll hand it off to Danielle to transition us into our next session. Thank you, Eliana and Robert for that presentation. Um, so next, we have the next presentation starts at three o'clock. So I hope that many of you will be able to join us there. Um, it's a drink demonstration. So it's a way to kind of wind down from all this um, great work we've been doing over the last three days. Um, but I really wanted to just thank um, Eliana and Robert for making the time to do this and um, for reminding people why this work is so important and, and keeping us all engaged. So I look forward to seeing you all in the next session and um, having a good rest of your day if you aren't planning to join us, okay? Danielle, is there a better yeah. way to get the resource out other than the chat? We're going to put it in the chat, but some people have already left the, the group. Um, I think the best way to do that is to um, send it to directly to Tanisha. Okay. We'll Great. send follow up. Yeah, that way, yeah, that way everybody, um, they'll make sure it either goes up onto the MLAC website or onto the BBA's website so that everybody can have access to it. Okay. Great. Uh, thank you.